from Flourish DX School, this is the Flourishing at School podcast. With mental health becoming a global priority, we are your partner for creating schools where students, teachers and school leaders feel good and function well, becoming the best versions of themselves and contributing to a flourishing world. Welcome to the first ever episode of the Flourishing at School podcast. I'm Tamara Lechner one of your podcast hosts. Each week, we are going to bring you conversations with some of the best practitioners, academics, and everything in between in order to inform best practice in whole school mental health. With me, I've got my co-host, Jason Van Shee. Hey, Jason, how are you doing today? Yeah, really well, Tamara. I'm excited to uh, be getting a new podcast, uh, uh, podcast. I know we both have done podcasts previously, but it's great that we're finally getting to do one together. I couldn't agree more. Yeah, so um, what's new with you tomorrow? Well, I am in LA right now. I live in Victoria, BC, but I'm dropping my kids all back at their respective places and sending them off. So that's kind of new. Uh, and besides that, everything else is the same in my world. World after a long period of the same. How about you, Jay? Yeah, well, um, we're going to learn a lot more about you, no doubt, and uh, what it's like to live in the beautiful Victoria uh, in BC. Um, but yeah, we've just moved offices uh, recently, so uh, calling from the new office. We don't have our proper internet connected just yet. I'm hotspotting off my phone. So fingers crossed it holds up while we, uh, we're recording from opposite sides of the globe. Which is actually pretty cool. It is. It's, it's, it's amazing how technology can connect us like this, right? And um, living in the most isolated capital city in the world, Perth, Western Australia, um, you know, we really didn't feel like we missed out on much because that's how generally we'd have to communicate with people anyway, virtually. Um, I guess we're doing it before everyone else was. We're doing it before it was cool. So, um, but it's, it's, it is fantastic, right? We, um, <laughs> we've known each other for a number of years. And uh, even though it's been, you know, we haven't seen you in person since before the pandemic, uh, yeah, it's great to call you, my friend, and great to be doing this podcast with you, like I said. I absolutely agree. I couldn't be more excited. So, Tamara, um, this podcast is called Flourishing at School, and uh, there's look lots of different definitions around there about what flourishing is, but how would you define flourishing yourself to our listeners? That is a good question because there are so many different ways to think about flourishing. For me personally... I like to think of it when people can cope with the everyday stressors that are thrown at them. Every day isn't going to be a good day, but you have honed your ability to kind of find the good in every day. You are living and working and contributing to the greater good. And for me personally, you must be having fun while you're doing it. Is that uh, similar or different to your definition? Yeah, it's uh, it is interesting. Um, I, I do like that idea of yeah, having you know positive emotions or having fun and you know living your best life. Uh, and I think flourishing, human flourishing, is is kind of about that, right? But it's more than than just this hedonic sense of well being where we're feeling good. Um, it's also this eudaimonic uh, sense of well being where we feel like we're contributing to a better community around us. Um, and that's what I love about the idea of flourishing and definitely something that we're going to be exploring on this podcast with our fabulous guests is it's not just about feeling good. It's about doing good and making, making the world a better place. Absolutely. I often think of it as a grandma science, that it's the lessons my grandmother wanted to teach me as a child. Um, so flourishing is that feeling good, functioning well and contributing to society. 
Yeah, um, I mean, I remember having a conversation with uh, one of the schools that, that we work with. Um, there's uh, a, a person who had gone over there in, into Pennsylvania and he was going for this role and had to present to the, the Board of Governors and he said, look, I'm going to go over there and I'm going to say my goal is to help students to be the best person they can be to you know, self-actualise, basically. And I said to him, to what end? You know, why do you want them to be the best versions of themselves? Um, and then kind of coached them to be, well, it's to make the world a better place, not just to, you know, um, feel like you are, you know, enjoying life to the fullest. It's like, well, there's a reason why we're all in this world and it's not just self, self-serving, you know, we're, we're part of a community. So, um, you know, that's definitely how I think about flourishing. It's about helping communities to flourish rather than just yourself. Yeah, I, I absolutely love that. And I think over the future of this podcast, we're going to talk to a lot of different guests who probably have different takes on what part of that community they are most focused on. And I'm really looking forward to that. So let's go back to why we decided that the podcast medium is such a great way to get the message out about creating mentally healthy schools. And to that, Jason, I'm really curious, what are some of your favorite podcasts, your go-to podcasts that you listen to either to feel good, to function well, to learn about flourishing, or just because you love the voice of the speakers in the podcasts? Who can we learn from? Um, It's not self-serving to say I like my own podcast, right? (laughs) No, I'm not that narcissistic. Um, The podcast I guess I like listening listening to most are ones about entrepreneurs. Um, so given that, you know, that's kind of a, a big part of my life and you know, I've got a technology startup that's focused around workplace mental health and school work, uh, school mental health. Um, I like listening to people's stories of how they've, you know, built something from scratch into something that was wildly successful. So things like um, How I Built This with uh, Guy Raz is, uh, is one of my favourites. Um, I like listening to um, things about venture capital and um, there's one called VC20, which I've started listening to to recently, which is really interesting to hear, you know, what drives investors and, and how they're trying to make the world a better place by, you know, funding uh, entrepreneurs to do what they do well. Um, for for more, I guess, of a wellbeing focus, um, I remember, uh, and we're going to talk later about this, but uh, I remember seeing Laurie Santos in 2016 um, in Fort Worth at this conference that Tamara and I was uh, at together uh, from Yale. And, um, you know, she had just recently uh, conducted the most popular course ever run at Yale around wellbeing and, and particularly around this idea of, of flourishing. Um, and, you know, she presented about, you know, some of what they had done. And I thought this, I really love this chick. And then when she started um, doing her own podcast called The Happiness Lab, you know, I started tuning into that and, uh, you know, for anyone who's trying to get a good handle on, you know, the science of wellbeing, um, that's, you know, a really, really good podcast for that. Uh, love anything that Malcolm Gladwell does, even though he's been quite controversial uh, of late. Um, and uh, and then for fun, like listening to uh, Australian comedians like uh, Hamish and Andy, um, which is a nice mm-hmm. light one to listen to. What about you, yourself, Tamara? What, what do you like listening to? Well, first of all, I'm going to have to listen to Lori Santos because I didn't know she had a podcast. So thanks for that. Um, I am an avid podcast listener, although less so during the past few years because I listen to them when I when I'm in my car driving most of the time. Mm. Um, I love Martha Beck. She has a new podcast called Bewildered that's really 
unpacking the difference between human nature versus human culture and how they are very much out of alignment. Um, I met Martha way back when I was working with Deepak Chopra and his team and training there. Um, and so I really love her show. Another one I really enjoy is The One You Feed. It is a podcast. They have brilliant guests and they ask everyone their question through the lens of a teaching parable. So a really unique format, but really great host. And then for fun, I listen to Happier in Hollywood because I have a daughter who is a early career screenwriter. And so I love hearing about what her future might unfold as. And then business wise, I love the Radical Candor podcast. It gives great insight into how leaders lead teams well. Those are some of my favorites. Well, I think we've given our listeners a few other episodes to, to oh, other podcasts to listen to. Uh, hopefully they've got time to listen to ours amongst all those other great recommendations. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> so, um, tomorrow, I guess this episode is going to be a little bit of, um, get to know your hosts, right? So in future episodes, we're going to be having some of the best guests from around the world in, in the field of, um, wellbeing and, and mental health in schools. Um, but in five minutes or less, do you think you could give our listeners a bit of an overview about who you are and how you came to be working with schools in this space? I will give it a go. I, I like being succinct. So, Short history of Tamara. I left school early. I don't even think you know this about me, Chase. I left high school to have a career in film and television. Uh, and so I've been in shows with Keanu Reeves and Keeper Sutherland. And then I pivoted and had a really long career as a dance studio owner while I was a mom to four kids. And that was a brilliant way to be able to work and still be kind of a stay at home mom. My eldest daughter was diagnosed with autism, which led me down a path of being curious about what I had done personally that allowed me to flourish when I had a very challenging child who slept for about two hours a day maximum and usually in 20 minute increments. Uh, and so I backwards changed myself to positive psychology by unpacking what is it that I do. Um, and during that time, I was writing for Deepak Chopra. I really started to wonder what if we gave skills of well being proactively to kids rather than waiting until adults were presenting as broken uh, and trying to fix them. So, I, I, as soon as I heard about Geelong Grammar and the Institute for Positive Education, I thought I have to go there and see what they're doing. I flew out and within eight months I was working for them. I have represented their team around the world. I have worked with Amelia at the Flourishing Center to create a certification program for positive educators and to take that to the next level so that those educators can actually educate people inside their schools. And right now I'm really deeply curious about the role technology will play in helping us to understand how we can get the most with the least effort. And so I'm very curious and I, I think that's the thread that's been through my whole professional career is I've followed my curiosity around how can we do our best and be our best as humans. Yeah, fantastic. And um, I think that would be the thing that really, you know, bonds us, right? Like we 
both want to do something at scale. We both see technology as a way to, to leverage that or to be able to get to scale. Uh, and podcasting is a great medium for getting messages out at scale too. It is. And I must say, I'm going to give you a little round of applause because you are brilliant at it. You've got quite a few podcasts that I encourage our listeners to go and, and listen to because you're really good at asking the good questions. And I think probably this is why I was immediately attracted to your energy and your enthusiasm. We met back in 2016 in Fort Worth, Texas at IPEN, the Positive Education Conference. And I don't know if you remember, but we shared a Cheeto bacon hot dog at the baseball game. I do remember, yeah, and I had a Budweiser. Um, I did the whole, yeah, yeah, yeah. went in Rome, yeah, so. <laughs> you, you did the American baseball experience. And so when we met, you weren't originally interested in working with schools. And I think our listeners might be curious to know more of your backstory and how what you're doing today connects to work in schools. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, in, uh, you're right. I, I both never foresaw that I'd be working in schools or in mental health, uh, which is probably really peculiar given that I studied as a psychologist. <laughs> so <laughs> That is really peculiar. Yeah, so I knew when I left school that I wanted to work with people um, and um, I didn't know what I, I wanted to do. I considered going into the law. Um, and then I realized that you had to do lots and lots of reading <laughs> and you had to be really meticulous, which probably didn't like suit my ADHD brain. Um, and so I, I, I kind of found my way into psychology. I determined really early on, I think it was about year two or year three of my undergrad that I didn't want to go into clinical psychology. So I started thinking about, you know, what are the divisions of psychology interested in optimizing outcomes? Um, and I like the idea of sports psychology um, and working with elite performers, um, but then realised that there wasn't many jobs going in sports psychology uh, and probably couldn't <laughs> support my family on that reliably. And so I went into organisational psychology. So similar aims to sports psychology in that you're optimising performance rather than dealing with illness. Um, but, you know, it can be for a variety of reasons, like person job fear, you know, increasing productivity and engagement in the workplace. Um, and it wasn't really until 2014 that I started to get interested in, in mental health because I'd always considered mental health to be more around mental illness. And that's a common mistake that a lot of people make, right? They, it's it's uh, seen as synonymous with, with mental illness when we're talking about mental health, despite mental health being a continuum. And um, it wasn't until we had a school uh, approach us in 2014 recognizing that, you know, I'd had some experience in psychometrics and developing survey scales before and asked if we could develop a measure around flourishing that was aligned to the Geelong Grammar model of positive education, which is uh, PERMA plus health. Um, there was no commercially available tools uh, at the time to help measure wellbeing according to that model. And so, you know, they uh, asked if we could do that and we said, sure, uh, as long as we can keep the underlying intellectual property uh, of that and continue to develop it. So we did, and, and so in 2016, we um, sought to, to validate this measure, which has become known as the Student Flourishing Survey, um, and we validated that with 15 secondary schools around Australia. Um, around about 7,500 students participated in that uh, in order to, to validate that, that instrument to help schools to be able to measure both collectively and at an individual level what were the behaviours um, and, and how ingrained were the pillars 
in students to help them to not just remain mentally healthy, but to help them to flourish to, to achieve that optimal level of well-being. Uh, and then looking to scale that, I, I, I turned it to technology um, and we were able to secure some investment from some very lovely uh, investors who could see, you know, the, the purpose behind what we're trying to achieve and, uh, you know, started to build up a technology company to, you know, build that and enable schools to be able to use that tool at, at scale. So really, um, even though I started with more of a focus on workplaces and uh, I guess organisational psychology, um, I've kind of kind of been building this technology startup since uh, 2014 uh, when our back end was SurveyMonkey in Word and Excel to now having a, a thriving <laughs> technology team with actual <laughs> software developers um, as well as uh, some great psychologists and other people that we work with and, and bring along for, for the ride. And, you know, we're now, um, you know, servicing company, uh, sorry, schools and companies across 13 countries. Um, and, uh, yeah, there's uh, close to 100 schools now that I think that we support around the world. Um, so, yeah, really interesting and, and looking to, you know, to grow that. Now that schools are, you know, have been measuring wellbeing for a while, the, the common question we get asked is, well, how do you actually improve <laughs> wellbeing? So I'm hoping this podcast will be a great <laughs> yeah. resource for those schools that are looking for, you know, some of the, uh, the science around wellbeing and what could they be doing to improve. And um, also then hopefully tomorrow we'll be working together to develop some, um, some training resources as well that will reside both in our platform as well as uh, free, uh, publicly available um, so that people can, uh, you know, learn more about the science that underpins, um, I guess, what we're, we're measuring. Right? <laughs> we're measuring not for the sake of measuring, we're measuring to improve uh, wellbeing outcomes. And uh, yeah, so I'm really interested in this next chapter. I like we've been measuring it for a while. How do we improve? Yeah, that's, I think, absolutely where our worlds collide because I'm so interested in knowing what works and doing more of that. Yeah. And uh, look, you can't do that without measuring. <laughs> and I think with our collective network, we'll uh, be showcasing some of the best of the best um, uh, people in the space. So I'm really looking forward to seeing who we are, who we're able to get on board. Um, yes. Yes. So tomorrow we should probably do some um, some scene setting. Um, no doubt the people who've tuned in to this first podcast are interested and probably already sold on the idea that mental health is important and schools are a great place to intervene in relation to, to mental health. Um, but why, you know, from your perspective, um, is school mental health important? Oh, I think we've all seen an increase in people talking about mental health and, and people publicly admitting that they've struggled. And we know that pretty much globally, one in four students is going to experience a mental health diagnosis. So a, a diagnosable mental health challenge during the course of their life. And the other thing we know is that the onset of these mental health challenges is often in the early teens. So while kids are at school and I know as a parent, I'm always very aware that my kids are at school more than they're at home. And so who is better poised to identify that something might be going wrong and to proactively teach the things that we can do to number one, prevent, but number two, to build back well-being when things are sliding down. And so I think that schools have always wanted to teach the skills students need to have success in life. And more and more we're understanding that the skills of well-being are the skills of living a successful and fulfilling and contributing life. So school just seems like the perfect place, the only place really where we can teach this. 
Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, it's about, yeah, that's what school should be focused on, right? It's not just literacy and numeracy. It's giving kids the schools that they, they're going to need, um, you know, throughout, throughout adulthood. So I see working with schools and doing mental health in schools, it's not just about trying to prevent mental illness in school-age kids, but it's getting to them in these formative years where they should be learning skills not just to succeed in their working lives but into, the, into their personal lives as well. You're right, and I think one, one example I think of that is just emotional literacy. We know that people who have a larger, a larger language to explain how they're feeling do better in life. And if we can start that at the same time that we're teaching the alphabet and, and numeracy, it would be great. And then the other thing I get are teachers who say, I don't, I don't want anything to do with this. I am here to teach math. And to those educators, I always say, do you understand that a child can't learn math if their brain is shut down because of their mental health? And so if you have some well-being building tools, some tools to calm and cope that physiology that keeps you from being able to focus and learn, then you can teach math. And so if you want to teach well-being, awesome. If you want to teach well, if you want to teach math, you still need to make sure that the kids are in a place to be able to learn well. So everybody who is teaching really needs this. Yeah, it's about One meeting things- those um it's about meeting those fundamental needs right before we're able to teach other skills. Um, my father is actually a, a pastor and uh, he flies around in a little Cessna to these remote Aboriginal communities in the Wheat Belt in uh, Western Australia. And um, he delivers like Christian studies ed- education uh, as part of that. Yep. Um, but some of these kids are from really dire kind of backgrounds and, you know, they come to school and they haven't slept because they're worried about, you know, sexual abuse at home um, that often come to um, to school without any food. Um, and so, you know, the school is there really as a safe haven and trying to meet just those fundamental needs of, hey, let's make sure this person is, is rested, um, that they've had some food um, before we send them back out in, into the world. You know, don't worry about teaching them or trying to teach them until, you know, we've met some of those fundamental needs. And, yeah, um, you know, some of the things that we'll be talking about around mental health needs will be, you know, a little bit further up uh, the chain than the like the security needs and, like, your uh, your food needs and, you know, those sorts of things. But uh, I think that's a, a great concept to get across to those people who just want to teach math. Well, that's great, but if people are falling asleep in your class, um, <laughs> you know, you're probably not going to be that effective at, you know, getting your message across. Yeah, you're so right. And I think that kind of connects to you being a big proponent for the integrated approaches to mental health. Can you tell our listeners a little bit more about this approach and how it differs from the ways that many schools go about creating mental health strategies in their communities? Yeah, so what I've observed, whether it's a a workplace, whether it's a a uh, school-based environment, um, there's often very siloed approaches or even um, proponents for certain ways of dealing with mental health. Um, you have people who are very much focused on the illness side of, of dealing with mental health. So let's try and identify in schools, for example, kids who are distressed or suicidal even, and let's try and intervene at that point. Um, you have those people who are very much focused on wellbeing, and it's like, well, how do we give them the skills for, for optimal wellbeing and for flourishing? Interestingly, even within this 
um, subset of, of well-being, you have really strong camps. You have people from the subjective well-being camp, for example, which is you know quite an, quite an old practice in science. And then I guess the newer science, which has received a lot of attention, much to the chagrin, I think, of the subjective well-being people who have been doing it for a lot longer, is uh, you know you, you have positive psychology and positive education as well. So even though they both have similar aims to improve well-being, you know you have very uh, you know strong proponents for one kind of um, mind mindset or the other. Um, and then, you know, you have uh, people who are interested in things like contextual well-being, or you know, the psychosocial um, determinants of of, of uh, well-being as well. So, looking at what are the things within the school environment from a systemic perspective, whether that be timetabling, um, whether it's you know the um, uh, the optimum amount of breaks to have, um, you know, uh, whether it's you starting at ten a.m. versus seven a.m you know, these sorts of things. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's also, you know, people who are interested in, in that element and some of the social aspects or social determinants of, of mental health. Um, interestingly, in the work that we do in workplaces, there is a model that has become very well known, particularly here in Australia, known as the integrated model of workplace mental health. And it basically suggests that acknowledging that mental health is a continuum, that is that mental health is not, just mental illness or well-being or flourishing, but it's a continuum where people can move up and down that that continuum at various stages, depending on you know lifestyle, individual practices, self-care, genetic predisposition, and these things. We then need, in a large enough community, if we're really going to tackle mental health holistically, a range of interventions that meet them at at different levels. And broadly, there are three pillars that we talk about, and that uh, they are prevent harm or prevent um, you know people um, becoming unwell um, it's promote flourishing so what are we doing to optimize well-being and then there's the responding to illness so when people are ill or are distressed how are we responding to that um, and really I think that's actually a really great framework that we should consider in schools as well and hopefully it's something that will come out um, in this podcast as we go through to, to get uh, together tomorrow that we can really think about well let's make sure that we're featuring experts from all of those different disciplines because really if we're thinking about mental health holistically we need to be meeting people where they're at what we often see though is that it's either one or the other it's uh you know either we have a very good pastoral care program and we do safeguarding and we're very much focused around you know identifying at-risk kids and responding then or we have like a lot of investment into well-being programs um or we're thinking about systems and structures but really what we need to think to have a holistic program is we need to be tapping into each of the disciplines and each of the things that these experts and the, the, the sciences can bring us in order to have a, a wellbeing program that actually supports the mental health of, of uh, both students and, and staff. I love that you added the end staff because I was noticing as I listened to us both that we were very student-centered in our focus. And I think this is a mistake we see a lot of schools make, that they want to go direct to students and they forget that downstream impact that teacher mental health has on students and that the environment of the organization and their structure and their policies has on the mental health of the teachers and the school leaders. And so it's certainly not simple. Oh, and look, Tamara, we made that decision ourselves probably four or five years ago, there was a lot of interest in measuring student wellbeing, um, but a lot of these schools weren't doing anything for their staff. 
Uh, and so how do you think the staff were supporting all of these initiatives around student wellbeing? <laughs> you know, not very well. They're like, well, we, we don't get looked after. Why should we, you know, worry about the wellbeing of our students? And then again, you've got the maths teacher who doesn't know the first thing about wellbeing. They didn't go to university to study psychology. Um, and so, of course, they feel uncomfortable talking about these things. So, uh, you know, we now only work with schools who are interested in whole school approaches to wellbeing. That is, you know, you've got to think about leadership, you've got to think about the faculty, and you've got to think about the students' experience. It's a lot. <laughs> yeah, and that's why I think, you know, we've got, we're going to have a lot of material <laughs> to keep us busy and our listeners, uh, you know, content, <laughs> uh, because it is, it is a very, very big, broad uh, topic area, you know, when we talk about mental health in schools. It is, and there is certainly no lack of caring humans in that school system that are trying to figure this out. And so I hope that they come along for the ride and we can figure it out together. Um, So I know that, you know, we come more, both of us from more of a preventative perspective when it comes to to mental health rather than the reactive or that, you know, responding to to ill health. Uh, And I know there's a parable that you like to use when you're explaining to staff um, and and schools, I guess, the, 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 why we should be, you know, um, preventative rather than just focus on react reactivity. Um, so I'm sure some of our listeners would have heard this parable before, but I think it's probably worthwhile sharing in any case. Yeah, it's one of my favorites, and it actually comes from public health policy, but I think it really relates deeply to what we're doing. And it is a story that begins with two friends picnicking aside a river, and they hear the shouts of a young child being carried downstream, and so as adults do, they immediately dive in to try and save that child and the child is sputtering and they're lifting them out. And before they can even begin to recover from the stress and the fatigue of that rescue, they hear another child crying for help and back in they go. And then another child and another child. And eventually one of the adults at the side of the stream decides to go upstream and find out why the children are falling into the river in the first place. And I think when I first heard this story, it was just like, ah, oh, that describes everything. We we have the counselors who are dealing with looking for the problems. We have the teachers who are rescuing the children and, and parents at home who are teaching them to swim. And hopefully we have some policymakers who are putting up some, some fences so the children don't fall in. And, and it just really brought home to me this is how well-being at school needs to happen. We need to be juggling all of these aspects and thinking about all of these things at the same time. Yeah, it's often uh, also referred to as, you know, not just going upstream, but, you know, the ambulance at the top of the cliff. You know, why, why, why have the ambulance waiting at the bottom <laughs> once people have fallen off? Uh, why not actually have some fences at the top to prevent them from falling down in the first place? Um, and I always think, well, while you're at it, then why? why? <laughs> totally, you and I are fence people. <laughs> That's right, multiple fences. And then also, while we're there, let's actually give people skills to leave, live that best life right, not just you know remain free from illness. I reckon that's yeah, it's a low bar if we're if that's all we're trying to do, prevent illness. Um, I really you know think that we should be helping people get the most out of themselves. Again, not just to um, live a happy, enjoyable life for themselves, but because then they're going to be meaningful contributors to society as well. Yes. So important. So important. And I think in future episodes, I'm, I'm curious to hear what some of our guests think about where they see themselves in that story. Who are they? Are they the, 
the diver inners or are they the upstream swimmers or fence builders? I, I'll be interested to know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we probably need to give them some context rather than going, uh, you are a swimmer or are you a diver <laughs> or are you a fencer? <laughs> no, let's give them no context and just see what they choose. <laughs> that, that would be more my way to do it. <laughs> yeah, we might try that with some of our friends, our close friends first, uh, yeah, then they'll, they'll forgive us. <laughs> <laughs> so if we move on to that, we are planning on tapping into our networks. And we have a pretty big and a pretty global network in order to get the best of the best on this podcast. Uh, and so I'm curious to know who are guests that you can't wait to speak to. Yeah, so um, there's some people that I, I look up to and probably, um, you know, they're the ones that uh, I would uh, turn to first if I had a, a question um, regarding, you know, wellbeing in schools. Um, so there's people like uh, Dr. Susie Green, who's who's local, um, who I, I like her work, um, particularly in coaching um, and positive psychology, um, combining the two. Um, there's people internationally like Alejandra Adler, um, who we've both uh, met and, uh, you know, I've got a lot of time for him. He's someone who does massive projects at scale. Um, I reckon he'd be uh, really interesting to have on have on board. Um, there's people that we have both in our network. And do you like know Elka he's Paul just moved into Germany a school? And, uh, Alejandro. Alejandro has just taken a role at a school in Canada. And so he's he's on the top of my list. I can't wait to hear more about that. Oh, yeah. No, uh, last I heard, I think it was at Columbia um, University. So um, that's, um, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely now want to catch up with him and find out all about like what, how, how he was convinced to go out of academia and, and work within a school. Definitely. And, and Elka and Jilda, absolutely. Um, yeah. Definitely, I'm interested in talking to some of my past colleagues at Geelong Grammar at the Institute for Positive Education, uh, Sharon and Nick from Shipley. Yeah, there's some uh, people doing some great stuff at some of the schools that we work with, right? So yeah, Sharon and Nick, um, Sue Easton, I know, who was at Ridley recently, and she's moved on to a principal network. So Yeah, and she's excited to speak with us. And I'm very excited about that because I think the principals often get neglected. They have, they're off on their own. We don't know where they are in the, the fence river. <laughs> I'm not sure where they are in, in that story, but I love the fact that Sue is taking her history of working in a school and understanding positive education and now taking that to the principal, to the leadership level. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, yes, yeah, uh, I reckon we're going to have some good guests. So I'm looking forward to, uh, to uh, next week and we'll unveil our first guest. We still haven't decided who it's going to be yet. So uh, we're recording this one no, a little in advance. So uh, yeah, it'll be a surprise for us too, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> it will. And we have two questions that we're going to ask our guests at this point in the podcast. The first is, what's a lesson you learned from something that didn't work? And Jason, how would you respond to that one? What's, what's something that you learned because you epically failed? <laughs> Um, I like that ethically failed. I don't, that sounds quite embarrassing. Um, look, there's there's many things that I've tried and, and failed. Um, I'm I'm happy to say. Um, I think you learn very quickly. Um, you know when you when you do try different things and you got to have those fast fails. Um, I've got a couple of examples. Uh, one was I thought I could build a business on sleep health education for corporates. Um, and it turns out, even though I was very passionate about sleep health and the science of sleep and how that could improve people's well-being, 
uh, people weren't willing to pay for it. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> uh, I think, yeah, the science of sleep is, is very important to get right. Um, and definitely talking to some schools out there, particularly in, in places like the US, where there's such a huge extracurricular burden on top of that academic burden. And, you know, kids are struggling to get six to eight hours of sleep a night, let alone 10, which is what most require, you know, adolescents and teenage years. Um, I think there's a lot that we can learn and apply. Um, but yeah, it's very hard, I gotta say, to build a, uh, a whole business, uh, based on maybe at scale, you could find a scalable way to do it through technology. And look, maybe we could at some stage, but you're doing face to face training. No, you can't do it that way. Um, but then also it kind of goes back to what I was mentioning before around how we made a shift where we will only work with schools where they take a whole school approach and take staff along for the journey. And one of the reasons that we did that was that we're taking this school uh, wellbeing measurement tool out to for students, right, for schools that were interested in measuring student wellbeing. And I remember one school that was doing that, and they hadn't done the whole Geelong grammar training. They hadn't done any, like, they didn't have a wellbeing framework in place. They were just purely interested in measuring student wellbeing. And I remember one staff member, or feedback I got from um, the, the uh, administrator for that school was that there was a staff member who uh, was supervising students completing the survey and one of the students came back and she re received a low result for purpose. And so this teacher freaked out. She's like, oh, this girl's got no purpose. Is she suicidal? <laughs> and I'm like, no, she's 11 years old. She probably doesn't know where she, you know, fits in this world yet, you know. Um, you know, so I said, but the good thing about that is we can start to get them to learn things like, hey, what are their top character strengths and virtues? What are the things that are most appealing to them? Where are their aptitudes? And where can they use that to have a benefit on society? You know, it's actually a really great point that we can now step into and have a bit of a conversation, a coaching conversation, and get that child and other children who are low on purpose to start thinking about those things, which are going to help them to determine how are they going to live a purposeful life. But I quickly learned through that, that if you don't do that groundwork with staff to begin with, then it's going to lead to a very poor rollout and there's probably got no, going to be no benefit uh, achieved through using platforms like Flourishing at School. Um, yes, so a whole school uh, well-being or nothing for us now, i got to say, is that that was a learning, that was a quick learning. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. Yeah. What about yourself, uh, Tamara? Um, well, I, I won't ask you the same question, actually, because um, we, we want to ask our guests two questions, right? So... Um, the second question we want to ask um, of our guests is if everyone in your school community was feeling good and functioning well, how would you know? What would look or feel or sound or smell different tomorrow? And I, I love this question and I think I love it because I've asked it to many of the schools that I've worked with on a consulting basis. Uh, when we're working with the staff, of course they all buy into this. It, it feels great when you're part of a team that honors your need to take care of yourself and to build these habits that help you to have success, that help you to get things done. That, of course, everyone jumps in, but they really struggle when you ask them that question. Okay, what? how are we gonna know if it's working? If, if we don't have this measurement tool, what would be different around you? And when, when the teachers stop, and think about this deeply. The answer that they most often give, I think aligns with it, with what I would believe personally. Uh, and it comes down to 
things just feel energetically more calm. I think when I go into a school, I immediately go back to that panicked feeling of I'm not getting enough done. I'm my marks aren't what they need to be. I, I certainly, I did well in school, but I didn't thrive there. I was not flourishing. I was a giant ball of stress in school. And I think that energy emanates almost from the walls of many school buildings. And so what I think would look and feel different would be that energy that you would walk in and it would feel like you were taking a hike in the mountains or sitting on the beach. It wouldn't be that environment that just makes the hair on the back of my neck go up when I think about going back to school. Um, and so it's really that energy, which I know is like a woo-woo, not very sciencey answer, but you're, you're going to find on this podcast that <laughs> my science and woo-woo like circle around and meet one another. I'm, I'm taking the <laughs> science right around to quantum physics. And, and so that's, that's the woo-woo answer is it's, it's the energy of the place. And another one that teachers often come up with is people will sound and look more kind that our, our school will feel kind. Yeah. That, that, and that's a big one that I feel as well. Um, it's very easy, particularly when you're in survival mode as a teenager, there's all the social influences and peer group pressures and all the rest. You're trying to fit in whilst also trying to do well academically, maybe on the sporting field as well. Um, it's very hard to look out of yourself and your own business to think, Hey, how am I influencing others here? Um, and yeah, absolutely. Those that, get it right, you know, it's a very compassionate um, environment that people are living in, not just empathetic where we're understanding how people are feeling, but then they're acting on that and they're trying to look out for each other. Yeah, absolutely. I think that brings us to the end of our first episode. Already? Wow, that, that went quick. The, yeah. <laughs> already. I know so fast. Um, but I'm excited for this to begin and I'm going to remind our audience that not only can you find this on your favorite podcast server, but you can also watch if you like watching on the Flourish Diagnostics YouTube channel. So that's Flourish DX YouTube channel. And we'll share the best little bits on our LinkedIn page. And you can connect with Jason and I both directly on LinkedIn. You'll find us there and we are happy to add you to our connections. I'm I'm such a big believer in connecting and, and helping one another to amplify what's going well. And we would love to continue our conversations with you over there. And I think that's it for today. Anything else from your end, Chase? No, uh, I'll just, um, you know, say the same thing as you. I, I really am I'm looking forward to this. I really hope that this podcast will be um, something that puts a lot of good out into the world and, and really helps people to learn what is best practice and, maybe think uh, more holistically about how they're tackling uh, mental health in schools. Let's do it. <laughs> awesome. I can't wait for our next guest. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that is it for this episode. We are so excited that you were here and we look forward to catching you again next time where we are going to work together to flourish at school <laughs> nice. and on our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> You've been listening to the Flourishing at School podcast. To stay up to date with the latest on whole school mental health, follow Flourish DX School on LinkedIn and subscribe to the Flourishing at School podcast at www.flourishingatschool.com.